Wake up. Wake up. Ali, it's 6.53. If you aren't out of the house in the next 30 minutes, you'll be late for history. Fam, you have to get on the 297 at 7.26. Otherwise, you'll have to wait for the one at 7.42. That's just something you can't afford to do. Because you have to catch an E9 or an E7 by 10 past 8. Otherwise, you'll surely be late. For those of you that were actually focusing last episode, I told you lot that I live just a five minute walk from school. So why would I need to catch two buses and wake up at six in the morning to make it on time? Bruv, listen, if you're gonna listen to this episode, then you need to tune in completely. Forget everything for the next 20 minutes and listen to me. Okay, I've set the stage and hopefully I've caught your attention. Hello and welcome back to my journey to Cambridge. Or maybe I should call it our journey as I share it with you. But where did I leave it last time before we start with episode 2? Here, listen to my intro while I think. place that we like to call the hood for those that might not understand a working-class neighborhood look man the more I reflect on my experiences becoming me the more I realize how we grew up in a bubble out of touch with reality with values willing to accept short-term satisfaction for long-term prosperity or am I just stupid for believing that we actually live in a meritocracy you know what forget class let's talk about being an ethnic minority and how the system disadvantages us systematically. How many opportunities were denied to me by the time I turned 18? You know what? Whatever happens, please, please, please never feel like you don't belong here. Because guess what? If people of colour were to disappear, then I guarantee the NHS would collapse within just a year. I'll stop it here. Last episode, you walked with an immature and lazy version of this person right here to a finish line we'll call compulsory education. But all I can say is at least I survived. But the point I've been trying to make is the whole time is that in this system, people of my ethnicity and of my class aren't meant to thrive. Let's get back to the story. Although the sequence of events are starting to slip my mind, I can't really remember. So let's just rewind. Okay, I think we're here. We left off last time with me telling you about my GCSE results and thinking about why some might say that I didn't reach my full potential or live up to my abilities. Let's pick up from there. It's August 2017 and I've just spent around six weeks abroad in Lebanon with my mum and I've arrived in London like let's say two or three days before my final GCSE results day. So this one is year 11, I've taken the core subjects like maths, English, um, core additional science and psychology which was the option the optional choice that I had that year 
we already know what I actually received, which was um, one A star, four A's, and one B, which comparatively was actually by far the best year that I had in terms of grades compared to year nine and year ten. But at the same time, I had mixed emotions when I first opened that envelope. For me to explain why, I need to provide you with some background information. The subject that I was most worried about was maths. I was in set one for maths, but I swear I was known as the stupidest guy in that class, which is actually embarrassing in hindsight. But back then, it was just it was just that was just how it was. I didn't do much to change um, my status as the dumbest guy in that class, but. It got to a point where if the teacher asked me a question, the whole class would burst out laughing before I even opened my mouth because they knew that I'd make a fool of myself. They started to feel sorry for me, so whenever the teacher asked me a question, I would hear people whispering the answer to me. And you'd think that that was better, but I promise you it was even worse because half the time, I would hear and repeat the answer wrong, and the other half of the time, I'd be asked to show how I got to the correct answer, which was obviously impossible because I didn't do the working out. And this was a cycle that never stopped because in maths, you can get away very easily with copying answers as opposed to a written subject like English literature. So realistically, I probably went about two or three years of doing practically nothing in maths. I'd just sit there because I had to be there and take away nothing from the lessons. And this didn't have much consequence in year nine or year 10 other than awkward parents evenings and poor interim reports. But when it came to year 11, I would obviously have my real maths GCSE exams at the end of the year. So it wasn't okay for me to just sit back like it was a cinema. And I didn't magically get better at maths, but I did try to, my best to salvage whatever knowledge I could retain in the last couple of months so I could possibly get a decent grade. And to cut a long story short, I got an A in maths, which um, a seven in the, in the new number system, which at the time I was absolutely over the moon about. When I saw the A grade, I had the, enough adrenaline to, to do a backflip. But then I looked further down on the piece of paper and I saw a B grade next to core science. A subject that I genuinely believed that I was very good at and believed that there was no way I wasn't going to get an A star. And I really liked my teacher, he explained things very well, and I did the necessary revision. I could probably find you pictures on the mind maps I made at the time. And yet, all of that amounted to a B grade. So it probably tells you something about how you feel about different subjects and exams, and how the correlation isn't very strong with what you actually get at the end of the year. Um, and the only A star that I got was actually in English literature, and I was very happy with that, obviously, because... Um, it was actually quite difficult for our year because we were the first year not to have access to the actual books in the exams So for example, we read Romeo and Juliet We didn't actually have the physical book with us in the exam So we had to memorize all the quotes beforehand and obviously like it seems like it's fine But there's like obviously hundreds of quotes you could possibly revise because they all correlate to different characters and different themes within that book and um, Obviously that was quite challenging but I was very glad that I got a good grade in English also because I really liked my teacher. She was um, also my form tutor and thus a really important figure to me when I was at school. I think more than anyone, she would make sure that I wasn't completely throwing away my education. So I was happy that I could get a good grade in her subjects at least. Um, we won't go into detail with the other subjects, but the bottom line is that my GCSEs were 1A star, 7As and 4Bs. I think you've heard that enough. And altogether, I had quite mixed emotions about those grades. The truth is that I was probably somewhat disappointed because I had friends who did much better than me with more A stars and what I stupidly thought at the time, much better life opportunities as a result. In hindsight, this has taught me a lesson about not comparing myself to others. The habit of social comparison is something that probably starts at a very early age because we realize that we all lead very different lives coming from different countries, practicing different religions, living in different homes with different clothes, and we all look different. So 
it becomes very easy to compare ourselves and by the time we're in high school it's something that's so readily ingrained in our minds to just see what the person next to you is achieving as a means of determining your own success um that we no longer have to even think about it to compare each other but i had to take a step back and realize how damaging this trait can be but also how often we actually do it and i heard on the after work podcast but also i'm also aware that it's quite a common saying that comparison is the thief of joy and in my mind i always conceptualize it like this let's say you lived alone with no communication or no knowledge of the outside world how could you possibly not be content with what you have for example you might have a toaster that only toasts two slices of bread at a time but you can't be dissatisfied with that because you have no clue what's out there you have no clue that there exists shinier toasters that prepare four slices of toast and you might have a small tight tv that isn't really high definition but you won't know about the bigger and clearer tvs that exist out there so in many respects i personally believe that my ultimate goal in life without getting into too much detail is just to be happy and content with the things that i have i believe that many of you might have similar goals and not comparing yourself is an important step in the process of achieving that that just being content another reason why we shouldn't compare ourselves with others is because the reality is that no one has a perfect life although we might find ourselves thinking that someone else is leading such an amazing life whatever this might mean in different contexts the truth is that everyone experiences downsides and turns that we're just unlikely to know about so comparing yourself to another person is almost unfair because it doesn't take into account what's happened to them and what's happened to you throughout that time and a quote that i think i've really come to resonate with is by stephen Furtick who is quite a popular figure in the US, maybe not in the UK, and he's a pastor who's essentially started a global ministry um, using online streaming. But he's also a best-selling author, and uh, he said, the reason why we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind-the-scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. And I really like that quote, because he's trying to say that we compare what we do behind the scenes, like what behind closed doors, so like doing all the hard work, putting all those hours in, with what you see from others which isn't what they do behind closed doors and rather what you see so for example let's say i was comparing my um gcse's when i compared my myself to my friends who had higher grades than me i thought about the revision that i did at home and compared it with them opening their results and getting all those high grades but do you see how the two can't be compared because in reality i should be comparing the revision i did with the revision they did and the work they put in to realize that they clearly deserve those higher grades because they focused all year round and put in the work at home. Then, when we compare the end result, the opening of the envelope, things to be seem to be much more fair. And this leads me perfectly onto reflecting upon why I didn't do as well as perhaps I could have in my GCSE exams. So, before we get onto talking about why I feel I did not meet my potential for my GCSEs, it is really important to include a disclaimer with that disclaimer coming from a conversation that I actually had with my dad literally two days ago. Um, so we were reflecting on things and he said to me, your GCSEs weren't good. I was like, what? He said, they weren't bad either. He said, they were your your grades, your GCSEs. And I think this hints at not only the fact that he didn't want me to comp- he didn't want to compare me to other individuals that were my age, but also the fact that you will get from your GCSEs what you put into them. For me, there were clearly things that I could and should have done. And I'm sure there were things that we can all improve on. I think my biggest error was thinking that it was completely fine to sort of mess around and not take things seriously throughout all those years 
and then try to fix everything together just a month before exams. Because the reality is that things don't work like that. For starters, let us say that during exam season I needed to revise for 5, 6 or 7 hours a day. That's not something that I can just wake up one day and start doing. At the end of the day, doing that amount of work requires great focus and great motivation to be honest. And I spent the whole year doing nothing but the compulsory homework which might take a few hours a week. So how was I suddenly going to turn into a super time efficient and productive student in the space of a day or two? The answer to this was that I wasn't, and I didn't. These habits need to be built up over time. And to put it into perspective outside of the education system, we can use the example of a marathon, which is just over 26 miles. You can't run over one or two miles a day and expect to be able to run 26 miles on the day of the marathon. That's just ridiculous, isn't it? So why would you think that it's possible to revise for an hour a day the whole academic year and then start doing six hours just before exams? But instead, what you might want to do is just slowly build up your revision stamina, if you will. Start off doing an hour or two a day and gradually increase that until you're able to revise for prolonged periods of time by the end of the year. That way, when it comes to exam season, not only have you consistently revised all year round and now have a much larger foundation for your knowledge and exam technique, you also have the correct habits and necessary framework moving forward. All of this is definitely something that I did not do. So much so that exam season wasn't a revision period for me, it was almost a learning for the first time period. For a lot of the content, it would be the first time that I had looked at it, and with those kind of habits, it's impossible that I was going to achieve the grades that my grades had truly worked for, that my friends had truly worked for. It was naive and arrogant for me to believe that I would achieve those grades. So, thus far, I've taken a little bit, time, a little bit of time out of this episode to reflect upon my past errors, and maybe think about the lessons that I'm taking moving forward, but it's important to get back to the story. So on the same day as GCSE results day, it was um, time to enroll into sixth form and thus pick the subjects that you wanted to take. And at this point, I had never given much thought to sixth form. It wasn't something that I had consciously made the decision to enroll in as much as it was just the next step of the education system in my head. I probably enrolled into sixth form because that's what all my peers were going to do. That's what my parents expected of me and also because what else was I going to do? Um, so I walk up the stairs to the sixth form area in our school and we have to fill out an application form, an online application form with all our details. And the last step of that form was to pick our A-levels, which for most people, for most people listening to this podcast, you'll know that that's quite a big deal. Needless to say, I didn't give it much thought either. I watched a YouTube video the night before results day and just saw what people had to say about each subject and chose according to my past experiences, to be honest. I knew in the back of my mind that I definitely didn't want to pursue anything related to maths or science and that my subjects would be very much humanities related so I chose sociology, economics and history. I chose sociology and economics because I had taken both of those subjects at GCSE, GCSE and got an A in both so I thought yeah it should be calm and I picked history because I was aware of the reputation it had as quite a hard A level so I thought it could be the sort of the challenging subject that I took I guess. Um, but all of them ended up being challenging so that was pretty flawed logic but I won't lie to you I didn't do nearly enough research that I should have done in picking my A-levels and so I'll spend a minute giving tips to anyone who might need it now or in the future I'd say that in picking your A-levels think about whether you've taken the subject before for GCSE so obviously for the core subjects um, maths English and science you would have had some experience and if you're going to pick those subjects then make sure you know that you're going to enjoy it if you haven't taken the subject, then maybe go online and do some research as to the content. 
For example, if you want to pick economics, go online and watch a revision video to see if the style of content appeals to you and um, just to see if it's something that you're interested in. Also, have a think about what you might want to study at university, like what career you might want to pursue and in light of that, what A-levels you might need to take because most university courses will have certain subject requirements. So if you're really keen on studying medicine, for example, then you know you have to do maths, biology and chemistry. For me, um, and this is drawing solely on my personal experiences, I think it's useful to think about who teaches the particular subject that you're going to pick. Um, this obviously doesn't apply to people who stay, uh, who move to a different school than you were, that the one you took at your GCSEs, because obviously you won't know the teachers at the new school. But for those of you that stay at their school like I did, so I, I, went, for, I went to Griffith High School and continued to the sixth form, you might want to think about previous encounters with the teachers that, and their particular teaching style. I know that my sociology and history teachers were a massive influence on me during sixth form and university applications and my economics teacher had previously taught me and I knew that I enjoyed the lessons so it helped me form my decision. These are all things that you might want to think about before committing to an A-level but at the end of the day it's not something that should stress you out too much. You should always pick based on what you're interested in and what you think you'll do the best in and also as far as I'm aware you can change your A-levels in the first few weeks of sixth form so that you can so you can technically use that beginning period as like a trial. So we've now come to a point where I've picked my A-levels and I've officially enrolled into sixth form in mid-August and we'll be starting school again in two or three weeks. So I went about that time as I normally would have, chilling with friends, playing football and not doing much really. And then it was back to school. And sixth form was a completely different experience. And this is something that took me completely by surprise. Um, all the periods that I had in the week were based on three subjects and I had loads of free periods where I didn't have to be anywhere or be doing anything in particular. I could be outside school in the common room in, or in the LRA, the learning resource area, doing work. And secondly, a very large number of people came from local schools to join Greenford High School sixth form. And so I was meeting new people every day for the first few weeks and we could also wear our own clothes and come inside and outside of school when we wanted to. So essentially the start of year 12 was very different to any other experience that I had had at Greenford High School. It's important to understand that at this point, I had no conscious intention of changing anything about my habits or my mindset moving from year 11 into year 12. I didn't make a conscious decision to maintain the habits that I previously holding me back, but it wasn't something that I just, I didn't think about it. I didn't acknowledge the fact that obviously changes needed to be made moving forward and probably a big reason for that is because I really lost sight of what all this education thing is about. Like, it was all I had ever known. Going to school, having a few holidays in the year, exams at the end. And it's really easy to forget your end goal, or even worse, not to have an end goal at all. I personally find that when you don't have something that you're striving for, especially with regards to something like school, where you're spending like over 30 hours a week, then it becomes difficult to take things seriously and put your heart into it. So when I started sixth form, it was just another step in the education system. But this leads us to our next discussion, which is centered about why I decided to change the way I conceptualized education in my head and how this materialized into a change in the way that I spent my time and the effort that I put in when I was actually in school. So up until now, you've been introduced to an Ali who didn't take school very seriously for one reason or another. And I've reflected in this episode on my past errors, like falling into the trap of believing that it's possible to change your habits like the flick of a switch or comparing myself to others, or not consciously thinking about the steps that I was taking. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about what happened in maybe the first few weeks or months of sixth form that made me make a substantial change in my attitude to school and subsequently 
life in general to be honest and I struggled to come up with an answer genuinely because it's just difficult to know the reasons behind things that are so internal but one thing that I can say for certain is that it was probably a multitude of factors just like in history when you might study the cause of a certain historical event such as maybe the 1905 Russian Revolution often the first thing you acknowledge is that more than one factor caused the outcome because life doesn't work in a standard cause and effect relationship I'm not saying that my change amounts to a Russian revolution but I do think that it was probably many things that caused me to feel the need to take things seriously first of all I probably began to mature because you can see a slow gradual progress in my grades between year 9 and year 11 like year on year I began to get a little bit more serious and in year 12 it came to a point where maybe I was ready to work hard maybe the greater flexibility and independence that sixth form afforded me suited me as an individual more and so it was an environment in which I could flourish it's also possible that the fact that I chose each of the subjects that I was going to dedicate my time to meant I was much more interested in them and much more dedicated to spend time to each of them however the factor that I think might have been the most significant in sort of giving me the push that I needed and the drive that instilled in me was the shocking realization that I would be entering the real world so soon. And by real world, I mean going to university, finding a job and all of that great stuff. You see, in our sixth form, we had a period once a week, which I think was called advanced entitlement. I think that's what it was called. And it involved us head of sixth form talking at us for about 50 minutes. And it wasn't about any subject in particular, but rather practical discussions about applying to university, being a strong applicant, choosing and forming your career path, to a 17 year old who had never been very serious about school this would have taken me by great surprise because in the back of my mind i knew that my parents would have very high expectations of me you always hear jokes about how ethnic minority parents say you can either be an engineer doctor or a lawyer and i think that's probably linked to how all how those are quite prestigious jobs that might have allowed our parents to boast and show us a little show us off a little if and when we are back home but anyways i know that my parents had high expectations and I never wanted to let them down, but me not really focusing in school or working hard to get those high grades at GCSE was never something linked to my university degree or career in my head. I just didn't see the correlation. When I was 15 or 16, I thought of all of that being years away. But things change in A-level, because when you start A-level, you literally apply to university around one year later. Now, as I sat in that big lecture theatre, and my head of sixth form spoke at me about university and jobs and all this big stuff. It, in my head, I thought to myself, what have I ever done that would actually make me a strong applicant to any university, let alone the top universities that my parents would expect me to go to? The answer was nothing. I didn't even know where to start. There were so many questions that I had to ask myself to actually understand what I wanted to do and what I had to do to achieve that. In other words, I had to set my goals. The problem is that when we set goals for ourselves, especially those with regards to important things like jobs and university, we have to ask ourselves very difficult questions that we're often quite scared to answer. And that's exactly what I had to do when I started sixth form, because if I was going to sit in all those hours of lessons and do all of this extra work that was required of me, then I did an end goal, because otherwise I would have no motivation and things would just be the same as they've always been. So what I started doing was spending hours on research about anything and everything that I needed to know. I had a long and deep think about what I wanted to research at, uh, to study at university and I came to the conclusion that I was interested in law. 
I then researched what the best university in the country was for law and what the rankings were and stuff, what grades and subjects did those universities require. I looked at what career paths you could take if you studied law and learned about the distinction between a solicitor and a barrister. And all of these questions and research that I did would form the foundation for all the motivation and drive that I used during sixth form to push me to do what I did, which I will go through in much, much more detail next episode, hopefully. You see, I believe that motivation comes from within. For years, my dad told me that I wouldn't amount to anything if all I did was play PS4 and watch shows on Netflix, but I set myself a goal and then everything seemed to fit together like Tetris. Remember, you'll never work hard and look back thinking you regret this. I reflect and ask, what did growing up in Northport do to me? Little did I know that education was the key that would set me free. I just want more people to see what I see because there's a big world of talk, there's a big world outside of talk about selling drugs and postcode beef. Try to try to find something that you're passionate about, a dream. Break it down into smaller steps and it won't be as impossible as first seems. Think about what you want. For some it's helping others while someone wants to work in the city. I think of all kind of things and let those daydreams motivate me. I haven't gone into detail about what actually happened during sixth form. Look forward to the next episode for now. Thank you for listening.